It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Uh, Bryce has been okay, thanks. I've been to Bulgaria for a week, never been there before. So it was an interesting experience. It was very hot. And I got to watch uh, CSK Sophia play, which was excellent. So yeah, I've had a busy week. Oh, wow. That's very exciting indeed. Um, joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Um, I hear you've been on your travels as well. Yeah, Vancouver on uh, Saturday, Sunday. So um, busy, busy times of Football Grad Network. Chris, you in, in London tomorrow. I'm back to Vancouver on Wednesday. So we'll have lots of live coverage um, from around the world this week um, on, on Football Grad. So which is which is great, but it also means it's very busy. Yes, indeed. Europa League, Champions League. We'll be talking about both um, coming up uh, on the show tonight. And yes, Football Grad will be covering all of the games. Very exciting. Well, Bryce, you're the, the, the Thursday game, aren't you? Yes, uh, I've managed to uh, get myself a ticket, um, thankfully, uh, to go see uh, Cologne again. So they'll be taking on Arsenal at the Emirates, which, um, yeah, I feel that we'll be talking about uh, Cologne in a little bit too, uh, because uh, they've had a bit of a troublesome time, will we say, at the start of this uh, Bundesliga campaign. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try and post as much as I can from that game as well. But uh, let's uh, go back a little bit. Uh, just before the uh, Bundesliga resumed, we had uh, international games, which, uh, yes, most of you will probably be thinking, I'm glad that that's out of the way and it came too early in the season and whatnot. But I feel that we have to talk about uh, the two results. Germany did win both games. Uh, they won 2-1 against the Czech Republic away and then managed to win 6-0 against uh, Norway. So two very positive results. Uh, but uh, no, not... Exactly a great performance in the 2-1 win uh, in Prague, was it, Manu? Yeah, it, it wasn't. You know, unfortunately, some fans thought they could use this game as, um, what, what, should we, what should we even call it, to use their um, somewhat disgusting political, for, disgusting political messages, um, right-wing political messages, some of the chants that I don't want to repeat here that were just... Um, completely wrong um, and did not represent Germany at all. And I thought I was very disappointing. And um, sadly, you know, these are, these are fans um, that come from, 
you know, clubs in East, East Germany where there, there is a lot more problems with right-wing fans than there is in the rest of the country. Um, and we don't want to see that at football. We don't want to see football to be used for political messages, period. What, you know, um, right-wing political messages is definitely don't what we see, want to see. And, um, you know, targeting certain players because of their immigration background or using Germany's national teams, um, to, you know, for chance, uh, that, that represent right-wing ideology. And no, no, kick that out. And I thought the German national team, um, reacted really well to this. Um, Mats Hummels basically told the, players to walk straight off the pitch after the game and not um, usually they go over to the fans and say thank you which is you know a tradition that Chris has pointed out in the past is something very typical German they decided not to do that and then Joachim Löw um, expressed his disappointment very strongly the German FA came out with very strong words and I actually thought the reaction by the fans in Stuttgart was the best you know um, you, you use that used to basically show a different face of Germany um, a positive and open and open face of Germany and um, the country is by no means perfect but you know it's it's a world open country it's a country that has accepted um, several hundred thousands of refugees in the last two years with open arms and that's the kind of Germany we want to see represented when the national team plays and you know Chris we talked about um, that reaction um, compared to what the English FA how they reacted after the Dortmund game you know the the 10 10 uh, German bombers in the sky and all that kind of stuff stuff that we don't want to see anymore either and you know the the even in the UK there's, there's a great Guardian article out um complimenting really how the German FA handled the situation. Well, yeah, if you think back to when um, it was England played uh, Germany in Dortmund, wasn't it? And there was some unsavory chanting. It was sort of skirted around by um, by the English FA or by the FA. Um, they held a media brief, and I think it was three months later to discuss the the ongoings that, um, that happened. So, yeah, and Gareth Southgate spoke after that match, and it was a little bit fluffy. And unfortunately, the um, England players around the Premier League just go and play football. I don't think they tend to care what goes on in the stands, etc. Um, they certainly didn't have the sort of approach that Mats Hummels did. Um, but uh, yeah, the German F, I think they needed to make a stand against this, the DFB, didn't they, pretty quickly. Um, and, and it was done, and it was interesting that, you know, this happened um, uh, an away fixture because it certainly wouldn't have been stood for inside a Germany manu, would it? Where, in fact, you know, the stuff that was said is is illegal. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that was said was illegal. I'm not going to repeat it here because it's, um, I don't want to give that a platform, but it is illegal. And, you know, we know where these fans are coming from. Um, sadly, a lot of them are from, from Dynamo Dresden, um, a, a club that has been in the crosshairs because, you know, um, unsavory fan chants and, um, we remember the, there's some anti-DFB protests going on and some of them are justified, you know, um, just have something to do in general with how the DFB is treating the game and the, the, the marketing wave and all that. That's, that's taking a hold of the game in Germany. And they, so some of the protesting against the DFB, yes, okay. But, you know, they have, um, they, they, they had a few, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I believe. You know, they, Dynamo Dresden fans had this uh, fight against DFB and they all came in army camouflage to a game. And then, you know, this is disgusting. We don't want to see that. And we don't want these people to represent Germany because they don't. You know, they think that their behavior is, is German and represents a Germany, but that Germany died 70 years ago. 
and it, it should stay dead. So, you know, we don't want to see these, these kind of things happening uh, in, in Germany games. And I don't think these people represent Germany at all. You know, the national team does what Mats Hummels did and what, how the players reacted. I think that was exemplary, you know, to show, to stand up to it the way they did. That was fantastic. And, you know, I think that's, that's just great. You know, Mats Hummels right away, you could see it on the, on, on the camera. See, like you see him waving over and like, come on, we're going straight into the dressing room. There's not going to, we're not going to give any one of those guys even an ounce of support for what they have said. And I thought that was perfect. And, you know, to realize that. I think there, there's something quite positive about that, you know, and it's, it's, um, Hummels has been a big leader for the side for a while. And he's, you know, he, he gets the sense of the surroundings. I, I thought that was class on his part. Yeah, that's it. I, I think there were, the German fans were just let down by, uh, well, a very twisted bunch. And no doubt we'll see very well behaved, uh, fans, uh, traveling across Europe, uh, this week. Uh, we all know just how fantastic they can be when they visit these grounds. And I'm sure that will continue. Uh, guys, let's leave international football behind. Uh, even though I'd love to talk about Northern Ireland and their upcoming game to Germany, but that'll all come in time. We'll talk about uh, so that let- prize. Don't worry. Yeah, well, we definitely will. But but anyway, I'll calm my excitement. Let's uh, talk about Bundesliga, which is exciting enough. Uh, so we've seen, uh, well, Bayern Munich uh, drop some points to Hoffenheim. This this was pretty exciting. I mean, we've we seen uh, Ancelotti's men uh, really not have a, a great uh, preseason. We said that, you know, maybe things won't go to plan this year for them. And it certainly didn't uh, on this occasion. Them losing 2-0. Um, and yeah, I've got quite a performance for Hoffenheim. i seen the game and I did, to be honest, I didn't think that, uh, well, Bayern offered very much at all. Um, Manu, we, we were talking about the game, uh, weren't we? And they, they, they really came up stuck, really, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I actually thought they started it quite well and they had a few chances and I thought, well, they're going to probably score soon. And then Hoffenheim hit them. Um, and I thought that Hoffenheim had a pretty positive game plan. Nagelsmann, of course, come, came up with another way to undo Bayern and they had to do it without Sandro Wagner. But, you know, I actually thought that Ut was exactly what they needed. They needed someone with, with speed, um, to go at them. And I, I think I actually wrote that in the preview that, you know, Alaba not being in, in the lineup, um, would give them a lot of opportunities because Rafinha doesn't have, uh, the, the, the speed um to to keep up with that kind of with, with with those kind of players so you know to, to just Bayern seems so static and uh Hoffenheim is so good when they when they play that quick transition game and they hit them really good i mean Mark Ut is has been quickly becoming um one of the one of the biggest names you know in the Bundesliga right now i mean he scored wonderful goals against Hoffenheim and he's now scored against uh, Bayern and um you know it's be quickly becoming a player that we can maybe even see in a national team in the near future but i you know that it's it's funny because it, this this result in some ways was kind of predictable because we've been talking about this um coming haven't we chris and i know i i, I sent out a tongue in cheek tweet right after the Dortmund game and we'll talk about Dortmund in a moment um that like had a, included a gif with Manuel Neuer lifting the, the German trophy because Dortmund dropped point and I'm like oh here we go now everyone is going to say Bayern dominance and all that but that point in Freiburg um given the way Bayern are playing right now could be worth its weight in gold at the end of the season right yeah it could and back to this game what I was particularly impressed with 
was um, how uh, Nagelsmann had learned a little bit because he he went with three at the back for the Champions League playoff against Liverpool um, and was torn apart by a formation of a 4-3-3. Now, on that day, he went um, 3-5-2. For this particular one, he just dropped very slightly and played a 3-1-4-2, which I think gave him a better control in the middle of the park. Um, and put into that, that Bayern were particularly poor um, from about, I would say, the 25-minute mark onwards, which is, um, you know, probably whereabouts where their first goal came from. But I've been really impressed by um, Kramaric. I think he has made a fantastic move um, permanently to uh, to Hoffenheim. And it just... It just defies belief why I don't think he could do it when he was at Leicester, which was you know very strange for me. And yeah, this has been—I'd like to say a shock result, but Manu, you're quite right. It's been a not a shock result. This very much reminds me of Bayern Munich last season. Do you remember when we first started doing this podcast? We said Bayern were boring and they were a little bit predictable, and you know we all thought that Leipzig could push them all the way, and they pretty much did towards the back, apart from the back end of the season. But I now worry that Ancelotti may not see Christmas. I think this is probably the third time I've said it. Um, you know, we're now on match day three, and it's the third time I'm going to say he might not make Christmas. <laughs> well, there is that statement by Mario Basler, although I don't know how many Weissbier he had when he did say that. Uh, he says there's this crazy rumor that Ancelotti has signed a pre-contract in China. Um, it's the first time I've ever heard anything from it, but it was talked about and it is in the German media, so I just want to mention it. Uh, I don't want to be uh, told I'm ignorant, um, but... <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I mean, we, there is, there's all this talk that Julian Nagelsmann or maybe even Thomas Tuchel could come in, um, long term. Ancelotti, his, it's also st- static. You know, it's also predictable. And, um, with Guardiola, it took a long time until he was kind of found out, right? And that was also because the side was starting to decline and, with Ancelotti, I mean, you always know the lineup he's going to have. He's always going to have that 4-3-3. He's putting Müller out wide. Um, he doesn't seem to know where to put Müller. And that is for me, um, you know, the, the development of Thomas Müller. We spoke about this, um, you know, two weeks ago that we had a player who had one of the best scoring rates in Europe. And now under Carlo Ancelotti, seems like a guy who can't play football anymore. And that's because he's not utilized the right way. And Ancelotti, and you hear this a lot when you talk to people in Munich, he is so stuck on positions, you know. He puts on a 4-3-3 formation, but whereas when you have a coach like Guardiola, the 4-3-3 formation is not 100% stuck, right? Like some players will be fluid, some people players will be allowed to to play off position, etc. You don't know exactly if that pos- that formation that you get is actually the formation that is going to be used. Same with Nagelsmann or Thomas Tuchel even. Um, if Ancelotti that 4-3-3 is a 4-3-3, period. You know, Italian tactics has to be static, has to be stiff. And that's poison, in my opinion, for Thomas Müller. And that is, you know, the, the, the way Müller is playing, I, I just don't get it. I just don't understand how a player of this caliber is being so misused in the system. And that could be for me, um, you know, we should start a hashtag, hashtag free Miller because he needs, he needs to have freedom <laughs> to play. 
You know, he's a Raumdeuter. He's a player who plays in between two or three positions. You know, he, they asked him once at the Süddeutsche interview, what's your position? He said he, he couldn't define it because it, he, he, he's a completely different kind of player and you need to use, utilize that. And Ancelotti, I, I don't know. He just can't figure it out. And that's for me is, um, yeah, that's for me is a big, big one. And, you know, you see that with so many of the other players, you know, Hummus, I think it's a fantastic signing, but I'm not sure where he's going to put Hummus now, right, Chris? I mean, you spoke about how to use Hummus, but that would mean that someone else in that system wouldn't play. And, um, you know, the 4-3-3 that he uses is not exactly ideal for someone like Hummus either. Well, no, because originally we thought he would either go on the left or right hand side of the four three three, uh, you know, of the of the front three, and I didn't think he would he would mess around with Muller so much, but he has, and once again, when the substitution's made, it's Thomas Muller that comes off for James um, Rodriguez to come on. He's chosen to go with um, Coleman on the other side, and obviously he's not going to drop um, Lewandowski, although Lewandowski's not a happy man if you look at what he's been saying this week. He thought that Bayern should have made a lot more transfers, and he's sort of lamenting the fact that they haven't brought in enough class and enough quality. But do I don't think they need to bring in um, any more class and quality at the moment. And, man, you're quite right. They just need to utilise their players properly. And you know, Muller's one of the last um, Bavarians in Bayern, and... I, I I can see the point where the players will will lose faith in Ancelotti and they will lose confidence in him. And once he loses the Bayern Munich dressing room, I think that's pretty much his cards on the table. But it's interesting to say that he's, he came out in his press conference today, um, his you know Champions League press conference, and pretty much rubbish that story, saying he you know he's not off to China. But um, you know, there's no smoke without fire sometimes, and you know whether uh, whether he's heard the story or not, um, it, it's out there for for it to be used as a stick to beat him with now, and it maybe it might be a good escape route for him. But I I thought um, James Rodriguez would be an excellent signing. I think he is an excellent signing, um, although he's got a little bit injured early on. He's just not been given. Um, the chance again, and it's because I think he's so rigid in this system where, you know, if Muller's going to play, he's going to play on the right-hand side. He's not going to be able to play as a second striker. He's not going to adapt the system to allow him to do that. He's definitely not going to drop Lewandowski because obviously we all know what a fantastic goal scorer is. And then now he's sort of bringing in um, Kingsley Coman on the side and, you know, Frank Ribery's dropped to the bench, as we all thought he may do, and Robin as well. And I predicted that in the early article uh, when uh, Rodriguez came in, that they're two of the aging players. But I think there is room in the buying side for all of these fantastic players if they can be merged and managed and, and brought in successfully. And it's, yeah, it, it just seems odd, some of the um, some of the positions that he's 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 putting out and some of the substitutions you can live or die by his substitutions his substitutions with a bench like Bayern have you know I just don't see I just don't see why he didn't make substitutions maybe a little earlier because you know the game was already pretty much gone by the time the um, final two substitutions came on they're 2-0 down and they didn't really look like they were going to come back into it so it's I don't just think it's a problem with the rigidity of his system it's the fact that he's choosing to adapt it too late and once again, he sent you know good young players out on loan because he's not willing to work with young players. He wants to work with established stars, but now these established stars don't seem to be pretty happy with him. So, 
yeah, it's, it's not looking good. And speaking to um, guys that, you know, cover Bayern Munich that I know um, privately, they have the similar opinion that it all could be coming undone for Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, I, I, I've heard rumblings that he has lost the dressing room already. And that's, you know, you can see that sort of the way they're playing. Um, the, the, the intensity Manu, isn't there. Manu, may, may I ask them, obviously they're not a relegation battling side over the years. They change managers regularly uh, during the season. But Chris kind of mentioned that, you know, Ancelotti may get the chop before Christmas. Um, is this something that Byron have done before? Um, no. If so, would, would, would they uh, keep? Or would they maybe keep him to the end of the season or get maybe his number two to kind of fill in and then get a more long-term replacement? Because I can't imagine, like, if they are after Nagelsmann, who has mm. um, been linked with them time after time, I couldn't imagine him leaving likes of Hoffenheim mid-season, if you get me. Traditionally, the coach, when, when you know, um, if things go south for Bayern... Traditionally, the, the coach, uh, coach's head gets chopped around match day 28 to 30. So that's when, when we'll have which, to. Which s- makes more sense. Yeah. And that's usually when it happens. Even Klinsmann had that much time. Um, so, you know, that's usually when, when the, the axe comes down. Um, Hoeneß and Rummenigge are patient people. So they'll give him time. But, um, if they have a sense that the goals can't be reached, Around match day twenty eight onwards, yeah, expect expect that heads will roll. Um, so I I think he will get until then, and I think that Bayern will be thereabouts until then. Um, you know they'll they will play some games where they they easily win, but anyone who's tactically adapt will beat them this year. That's that's for me. Um, it's so obvious, and uh, Bayern need a different coach. They they don't. That four-three-three system is not for them. You know, actually, the way Nagelsmann plays his side, or Thomas Tuchel played Dortmund last side, that formation would be perfect for for Bayern. But you you said about um, you know tactically astute teams um, coming and possibly beating them this year. Is Anderlecht going to be one of those sides? No. <laughs> I, I wrote the preview for this game, and uh, Bayern are dangerous, the most dangerous uh, when they when they come off a defeat. And Anderlecht is no disrespect to Anderlecht, but that's not an opposition. And my prediction was 5-0 for this game for Bayern at home. And I, I, I'm pretty sure they will get that kind of result. They will blow them, blow them away. And this is no disrespect to Anderlecht, but that's, you know, we talk the quality on, on that team is immense. And, um, Anderlecht are a good team in Belgium, but they're not strong enough to, to compete with Bayern. Yeah, I think that would be a, a hell of a shock, wouldn't it? And yeah, it would it would bring Ancelotti closer to the chap, will we say? But uh, Chris, you said that um, Nagelsmann seemed to have uh, well learned a little in the last few weeks. Um, a hell of a performance for his side. Yeah, they they played very well. Uh, they've got uh, Braga midweek. Uh, this is a game that uh, you would imagine that they they should win it, right? Well, you you would uh, you'd hope they would win it, but once again, they're inexperienced in Europe. So. European football can be um, it can be a challenge at times and it can also be exceptionally surprising or it can go quite well. I would like to think that Hoffenheim have enough to um, to beat Braga this particular time out, especially after beating Bayern 2-0. Um, and they will have learned a lot um, 
at home against Liverpool, but I think they'll have learned an even more um, greater amount of lessons when they played away at Anfield. And I would expect Nagelsmann to put those um, learning points into action because we all know what a great tactically astute coach he is. And I would be surprised if he were to make similar mistakes. Um, so I think they could they could go and get a victory and that would start them off well in their Europa League campaign. I think it's important for them not to lose this game because that may get their heads down in Europe and that's exactly what we don't want for Hoffenheim because if let off the leash, they could be you know, as, as strong as any team in the uh, Europa League. And I predicted early on that they would go out to Liverpool, mostly because Liverpool's my team, so that was more of hope than, than anything else. But I think the Europa League suits Hoffenheim a lot better than it does the Champions League. They'll get the breathing ground to develop in, in the second-tier system. Yeah, actually, it's funny, Chris, that you say that because Nagelsmann said the same thing um, on Sunday, I believe. So he seemed to be on accord with you there. Um, he said the same thing for the, the development of the club, the level that the club are at right now. Last season was a bit of a fluke that they slipped into that Champions League spot and they actually say, they actually were, he admitted himself that, you know, where they are developing as a team right now, the level that they have, the players that they have, the budget that they have, the Europa League is a better breeding ground for them and a better spot to, you know, make that next step to maybe in one or two years be a Champions League side. Yeah. And it's key that they get maybe the next two to three seasons before they can even get back in the Champions League, if mm. they can get the experience in the Europa League, or if they do what they've done again last season, you know, they get to that fourth spot and, and then they drop out into the Europa League at some point after that. You never know. But I think to consistently to be in the Europa League for the next two to three seasons would be a fantastic building ground for them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, wouldn't it just? Let's just hope that they can get that campaign off to a winner. And as Chris said, I quite fancy them to go quite far in there if they, uh, well, if they get their heads right. Uh, but let's um, let's speak about Dortmund. Uh, they were obviously uh, playing a uh, Freiburg at the weekend. Uh, Chris, things didn't quite go as planned. I mean, it was, I, I believe, it was was it twenty seven shots they had, but it, it was nil nil. Was it just? Um, just one of those days just Freiburg just sat back shut up shop and and that was it especially after their red card and Dortmund a little bit unlucky or or is there bigger concerns there it's a bit of both Bryce I think um, you can't have 78 percent of um, you know possession throughout the whole game and register as many shots as they did you know um, 12 shots um, at goal it's only you know, three on target, nine went wide, two were saved. So, you know, they had seven corner kicks as well. So a set pieces, Dortmund should be very good at. They had, uh, they had 11 set pieces in and around the box. They could have, they could have sorted from, but, um, it's, it was a strange one. Um, I don't think I've seen a team have that much possession and, and not force it through. There's a couple of really good pictures from the stadium of, of how Freiburg dropped right back. And we all know that if you, if you have a back five and, and then you even go as a four, which they did at times, and you go very, very tight, it's hard to play between the lines. I think that's what Dortmund found, that it was hard to play between the lines. But for anybody watching, uh, if you want to stop Bruce Dortmund from playing, um, especially this new exciting way that um, Peter Bosch has gotten playing, it, it's going to be drop them deep. And I think, you know, there's there's other people finding that out throughout the whole of Europe in different leagues that if you, you know, put five and five and four men, so nine in essence behind the ball, it's hard to break down. And, and I think it was just a learning curve for a young Dortmund side. And I'm, I'll be pretty sure that if that happens to them again, they'll be working on the training ground to put this right. But 
we saw a um, a brilliant use of VAR, which I think we sort of bashed it on match day one, match day two. It sort of came into its own a little bit, but I think for this particular game, the um, the VAR replay, so overriding the yellow into a red, I think was fundamental because the more I see that challenge on Schmelzer, the worse it gets. So if you could give a double red, I'd probably be giving one of them by now for it. Yeah, that was a clear red card. You know, the, the rule actually says if you um, if you go challenge for the ball and you hit you hit the opposition player above the ankle, it's apparently a straight red card according to the rule book. But it's so hard to see in in real time. So VAR, the way it was used, and I actually thought it was you know it was good that the that the referees in Köln um, basically you know gave him. Um, gave the referee Cortos um, the, the the message and said like um, well we looked at this again it's a red and because Schmelzer was on the ground being treated anyways right there was enough time to do it without a delay so I thought it was actually um, an exemplary use for VAR in that occasion and it was a clear red card I don't know why Freiburg complained about it although I guess they wanted to create that kind of heated atmosphere the underdog atmosphere to keep Dortmund from scoring which they did quite well I actually thought you know the um, it's interesting. I just finished the preview for Dortmund Tottenham, and um, usually Dortmund would be playing on a field that's quite small, like the uh, Schwarzwald Stadions field. Um, Dortmund were also playing uphill in the second half because the one side of the field is actually higher than the other side, right? So um, that was one factor. But Dortmund were also very static. I thought that they didn't do enough to, to really go at Freiburg with some speed, and then you know there wasn't any creativity. But that's also because it's such a narrow field. And White Hart Lane, you know, where Tottenham usually play, have an even smaller field than that. But thankfully for Dortmund, they're playing at Wembley, which is a massive pitch. And um, that's going to be better for Dortmund because they like to stretch their opposition, right? They like to play it wide. They like to use... And Yamolenko is apparently going to start um, on Wednesday. Um, so that's going to give them quite a lot of, of power on the wings. And I think that's, that's going to be suiting them better overall, right? So, but Freiburg were really clever. Um, they were really clever to basically, you know, use the, the, the small space that they had to just, to just protect themselves really and get the result that they could really have hoped for. You know, that zero, zero draw at one point, um, is is there worth a goal? Is there is its weight worth a gold for them? But you know it's funny because I was really disappointed by the result because I thought here here we go Bayern are going to pull away by two points. But Chris, that point now looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. And if you take into account that they lost Bartra early on, and then obviously Schmelzer through the tackle. Uh, they did make you know two unforced changes that will have thrown their system completely. Although you know the players are used to playing with each other, if you work on something prior to a match day and you go on, you go through your match day preparations in the dressing room to make two substitutions inside the first thirty minutes, in essence, um, throws quite a lot off. Um, and I thought the guys that came on did did you know all right, and they were okay when they came on. Um, yeah, it's it's. I'll be really interested, like you say, Manu, to see how they play against Tottenham on Wednesday night at Wembley. Uh, you know, it's a massive stadium. Um, it's a massive pitch. So we'll, we'll see how they get on. But I think, you know, Tottenham Hotspur have got a real problem playing at Wembley at the moment. And I think we've mentioned it before um, that it, I think it also happened to Arsenal when Arsenal had this problem in a Champions League is that players no matter where you're from in the world, there's certain stadiums you want to play. And I think we can say they want to play in the new Camp, the Bernabeu, 
Um, you got some of the um, South American stadiums, especially the ones in Brazil where the World Cup final was held. Um, and Wembley is on that list. So you're an away team going to Wembley and you're automatically going to raise your game. I think someone like Christian Pulisic um, and even uh, Aubameyang, and you know, the, the people who they got, Gotza as well, Sahin's been there, um, Dahoud's going to be there, um, you know, Yamalenko's going to start. They're all players that will go, right, we're at Wembley and that's the game raised by 10%, which is, I think Tottenham will have a real, real problem um, controlling Dortmund on Wednesday night. Um, Manu, what did you go for? I'm I'm going to go for 3-1 to Dortmund. I have 2-1 for Dortmund. 2-1. Okay, yeah. Um, so we've both gone for a Dortmund win. Um, yeah, I think if you're um, Tottenham Hotspur in that Champions League group, um, you are going to be fearful of a dropout to the Europa League at the first possible instance. I can't see anything else but a Dortmund win. Um, and I'm pretty sure that um, it won't have been the best uh, warm-up the game uh, in Freiburg and it, and it was it is a tight ground I was there only a couple of weeks ago myself um, and it's a very old traditional ground um, and it'll be the complete opposite on Wednesday night in London so yeah it'll be interesting to see how they get on yeah obviously uh, Spurs played away at the weekend uh, managed a 3-0 well against Everton looked rather impressive but I've got to agree guys I think in Wembley, uh, I reckon Dortmund are gonna are gonna do them, and I I reckon I'm gonna call two 0 will I say? But um, yeah, exciting times. Uh, I think that's a very exciting group that they're in. Um, guys, let's uh, move on to Leipzig then. Uh, last year's runners up, um, boy, did they score two fantastic goals over the weekend. Um, Manu, you and I especially spoke um, why your know, Timo Werner isn't being a uh, you know regarded uh, even higher than what he is. I mean that breakaway goal was outrageous. Yeah, I, I remember watching that, and when he when he got the ball and he started running, and when he broke free uh, because he literally did break free, such an intense speed and um, going at the goalie and. Putting it away, you know, in, in the coldest of fashion and, um, fantastic goal. You know, the, the first goal by Keita was already great, but this goal is something else. And I've been wondering, you know, Werner last, he's, he scored now, um, I believe it's three and three, um, this season. And he scored 21 goals and seven assists last season, 28 points overall scorer points, which made him fifth in the league in scoring. He's 20, he was 20 years old when he did it last year. He's 21 now. And I was just thinking, you know, we talk about Dembele and, and Puppet or these young, super talented strikers. But, um, if, you know, if Dembele, ninth best scorer in the Bundesliga last season, um, goes for 148 million euros to Barcelona, what is Werner worth? Like, what is his value considering those numbers? And you I mean he doesn't just do that for Leipzig. He plays for Germany. He scored two against Norway. He's the top scorer at the Confederations Cup. Yes, as some people thought, that was Mickey Mouse tournament. You you just tell it to the people that were playing it. You know the Chileans and the Portuguese and that were bringing the A team. Same with Mexico. You know these are top teams that were there. Um, and Werner did really well at this tournament, and he's you know continued that form now in the World Cup qualification. And um, you know if you want to put a price tag on it, um, Max will we know quite well. He said, said sixty to ninety million euros. But Chris. I think that is massively under the value. When you put him into that category, he should be in that category of the Dembélés and the Mbappes of this world. But for some reason, he is not. 
I don't know if that's a little bit of ignorance on on other people's part, um, not ours, obviously, because we've seen him score in the flesh. We saw it last May, did well this May. Um, he may just gone, and he, you know he was excellent that day. And as you quite rightly said, he went onto the Confederations Cup where he was excellent, and he's he's carried this on. And there's a lot of people who've been keeping an eye on him, and I would I wouldn't agree that he's up there in in the hundreds of millions. And that's purely because I don't think any player is worth that. I think the Neymar effect in the summer window, I would hope that will be drawn a line under and transfer figures will start to come down to a more uh, reasonable level. Um, you know, if we can call what Pogba went for or Lukaku went for reasonable, probably not. But now if he was to leave um, Leipzig, they would be in the strongest position to command whatever fee they wanted for them. And there would be teams in Germany and um, fine for him, as well as I maybe think even some of the Spanish teams as the English sides who would be happy to pay that. Obviously, PSG in France would be happy to pay that. It, the goal is good enough. Um, by the way he breaks away it's it's the way he breaks away at the speed he does and then the speed he hits the ball at because sometimes we'll see players if they break away from just outside their own half and they run you know maybe 45 even 60 yards if they're running cross field like he was and they will then have they'll then have the fatigue after that run to just slot the ball away he actually powered it past which you know was if you look at Naby Keita's goal early on, that was a power pass, but that was from almost a standing start. But Timo Werner's done this from a from a sprint, which makes it even better. Um, I you know I think we all know, um, and anybody that listens to us regularly will know how much value we put on Timo Werner as a player. He's certainly someone that I would like um, in my team. You know, any team if I was picking one, I think he would be my centre forward at the moment. Um, and if he has a season. Um, like it's shaping up to be, he could be challenging for the top goal scorer at the end of the year again, um, especially now, you know, with um, Lewandowski not particularly happy. Uh, you would think a Bayern Munich, um, Aubameyang's got one eye looking elsewhere, I think still. So Timo Werner, this could be a season to real make a stance against that. And especially you know, if he starts doing well, like he's been playing in the um, Champions League, Leipzig will be having a lot of people hammering their door down and very soon requesting transfers. Yeah. Um, his, his, his composure, I thought, was uh, fantastic. But can I just ask uh, very quickly, Manu, uh, to kind of get away from Leipzig, uh, do you think um, last year we've seen um, Germany, you know, have a lot of uh, passing ability, uh, composure on the ball, but but maybe not a, a final end product. They didn't really have that striker um, that they needed. Is Timo Werner going to be the answer to that, do you feel? Yeah, I have an article on that up on Fußballstadt, and I think so. Yes, he's going to be the starting striker for Germany at the World Cup. And I think that World Cup, um, is it, if it goes as we all expect, it will go for Germany. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's always the possibility that you have one bad day. But if it goes the way we all expect, it will go for Germany. Expect a lot of Timo Werner transfer talk next summer. Uh, I guess everyone who, who listens to the pod knows what I'm referring to. You know, he will, Germany is likely to win the World Cup next summer. And that would mean that Timo Werner is likely going to be the top scorer in Russia again. And I mean, then, then the number will be through the roof. Uh, so that's a development to look out for. But you know, also Champions League midweek, uh, playing Monaco, speaking of Mbappe, 
his former club Monaco, and I think that's that's going to be a real cracker of a game. And I'm game. I'm I'm very excited, really looking forward to. It. I know Monaco has lost a lot of players. John Mc Mackenzie has the the preview up on Fußballstadt already, so go check that out. But I think it's going to be a cracker of a game at the Red Bull Arena um, on Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's got all the uh, hallmarks of being a, a, a classic and a, a bit of a, a goal fest uh, potentially there. But I mean, the, the three of us have said that we reckon uh, Leipzig are going to surprise a lot of people that don't really know so much about them. Uh, didn't follow them as closely as we did last year. And yeah, should, should just surprise uh, some people with, uh, well, the beautiful football that they can play in Europe. So it's, it's going to be exciting times for Leipzig, I feel. Um, a team that's uh, less exciting uh, and a bit troublesome uh, is Cologne. Uh, the Billy Goats, um, yeah, they, they've had a, a bit of a horrid start. Three games, three losses. They're not scoring goals. They're, they're controlling games, as we mentioned, uh, Manu. They're having uh, plenty of shots, plenty of passes, but... They're conceding and uh, things just really don't look good for them at all at the moment. Uh, Chris, um, do you think that it's just something as simple as Modesk isn't there and and that that's the reason that they're faltering? Well, I don't know. Um, Bryce, you said they haven't had a particularly good start. I think if you get beat 3-0 by Augsburg, you're having a horrendous start no matter you know what team you are. Um, is it more than just missing Anthony Modest? Well, no, because Anthony Modesto wasn't a defender. I think they've got some real problems, not just up top. I think they've got them at the back. I don't think Cordoba has, um, has gelled properly, but I don't know. The way they were torn apart from, from their midfield and, you know, they've got some big players there. Hector is a fantastic left back. I don't think he's up to speed at the moment. And then, you know, the guys behind him and uh, Timo Horn's not exactly covered himself in glory lately. I just think there's a real problem at Cologne. Um, and, you know, Peter Stoger, we all, we all thought he had such a good season last season and, you know, and he did. And Cologne were playing some fantastic football. And I think it's easy to say just because um, Anthony Modesta has gone, they have no outlet, but they weren't leaking goals like this last season. And, it could be it could be a problem for them Thursday night. Their only saving grace could be that I don't think Arsenal will take this competition seriously, the Europa League. It's the first time they've gonna have played in it. Um since it's rebranded, you know, they qualify for the Champions League fourteen years on the run. So um they will see this as an avenue to develop some of their youth players for which Arsene Wenger has a lot of. But then saying that Arsene Wenger's under a little bit of pressure at the moment, so he may use this competition just to reinforce and that he's still the manager at Arsenal. So it all depends, I think, for them Thursday night. It all depends on their host, Arsenal, how they take it. If they don't take it very seriously, I think Cologne have got a real chance to um, maybe get something back. I think a win at the Emirates would be a massive boost for them. But at the moment, they just seem to be really struggling in the league, and you know they haven't impressed me at all yet. Yeah, Chris, and to go along with that, there's... A statistic. So this is actually touches on some of the things that you said because it can't be down to Modest. This was the uh, ninth game in a row where they dropped points away from home. Um, so that goes back to last season. Their last victory away from home was a six-one victory um, last season, the the beginning of the Rückrunde against Darmstadt. So you know this is this is something that has been going on for quite some time. 
And um, doesn't really bode well considering that they are playing in London, right? So, yeah, maybe something a bit to worry about. The, the one thing that I did see is that um, they've gone from 48% average possession to 72 in the first three games. Not sure how exactly they did that. Um, but it looks like the game has changed quite a bit without Modeste. You know, Cordoba is more player who holds the ball rather than, you know, presses forward quickly. So that's, that changes the entire static of the game. And then also I think the expectations, you know, when, when they go to a place like Augsburg, they're the favorites all of a sudden, right? Last season, they weren't the favorites for most of the games. So it changes, it changes the way, um, they're received, but it also changes the way, it changes to the way they play. So I think, you know, you said, haven't gelled quite yet. I think that really uh, puts the finger on the pulse. That's exactly it. They're just not gelled yet. And some of the issues, they just have to switch off. Um, they have to figure out a way to win away from Cologne. You know, Cologne is such a magnificent stadium. Bryce, you've been there. Um, you know how great of an atmosphere it is and how much it can carry a team. But they have to they have to learn to, to do the same thing away from home. And we'll see how... I'm, I'm really, really curious about this game against Arsenal because um, I'm not sure Wenger can afford to play this, the, the, the youths. And um, I, I, I'm really curious to see what kind of Arsenal team um, is going to be put on the field. So um, interesting game for Thursday, for sure. I think the, the problem... That they've got, Manu, and it's a serious problem for anyone um, that supports Cologne or follows them on this podcast will know that now they are match day three and they are rooted to the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to go to the Emirates and play Arsenal. And then where are they going after that? They're going to Borussia Dortmund oh, on a Sunday, yeah. five, you know, 6 p.m. Um, German kickoff time. It's, you know, it's one of the big matches. It's one of the big TV matches of the weekend. Everybody will be watching it. Um, you know, Signal Duna Park will be full as it is every weekend and it'll be a real test. If they don't get anything there, they're now into match day four and we're looking at, um, you know, over 10% of the match days have gone already and we are, um, rock bottom of the table with no points. And, and once that gets into the player's mind, um, and into the you know staff and management and coaches' mind, it's real hard to recover from that. So they need to pick up some points um, quickly, and I can't see where that's going to come from in the next week or so. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's that's it. I was just about to ask um, if we look at both games and we were to say, you know, obviously for winning each of them, you get three points. Do either of you see them getting six or even two points in the next two games? No, that's that, that's the Champions League and the league. No, I don't think so, Bryce. I think that no. um, going to London um, under normal circumstances, I, I would, I would have, I would say, yeah, Ah Wenger is going to feel the youth, but he can't do that. The the Arsenal fan base is so poisoned with negativity right now that they have to win games no matter what. Well, I, right? I, I feel what's happening in England is that you've got too many teams challenging for the top four places. So the, the team, the, the bigger teams that then miss out in the Champions League are starting to now look at the Europa League and go, actually, if we put a good yeah. charge in this and we get in, it doesn't matter where we finish in the league, we'll get back into the Champions League. You know, which, you know, if you finish seventh or you finish 12th, you know, for those teams, and you get back into the Champions League, that's almost bigger than your league position. 
Um, so it, it could be dangerous. Um, if Arsenal take this seriously, uh, it could be troublesome for Cologne. But yes, I'll be there taking photos and hoping that they can pick up something. Uh, but l- guys, let's move on to then speak uh, about the other Europa League game in Hertha uh, Berlin. They're uh, going to be uh, playing at Bilbao. And yeah, but this, um, well, I, I think it's been a pretty positive start uh, to the season for Hertha. They're quite often labelled as boring. Uh, Manu, do, do you see them being a bit more successful in Europe than uh, than their colleagues, uh, or German colleagues, uh, Cologne? Well, they got Bilbao, right, on Thursday, which is the toughest opposition. Uh, let me recall what else they got. They got Östersund, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, yep. What's the fourth team in the Europa League price? Do you have it ahead of you, in front of you somewhere? Oh, I should know that off the top of my head, shouldn't I? It it's is... Bart de Borisov, isn't it? Yes, that's the very one. Yeah. There we so, go. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, both these teams should be... I mean, I've, I've kind of wrote the preview for this one, and it's really both those sides should be going through uh, Bilbao with their experience yeah. you know, in the Europa League over the last few years and in Europe in, in general. And, and they've got a pretty strong side. And Hertha have a strong side as well, especially compared to the other two sides uh, that have just been mentioned. And I don't see why they shouldn't be uh, pushing through. It's going to be who tops uh, that group between these two sides. But but yeah, Hertha, you know, it's, yeah, they've won one, drew one, uh, lost one. They they drew at the weekend after being um, ahead and let Werner come back into it. But I have a feeling that they might start this one off uh, on a positive note and, and, and get a win, even though uh, Bill Bauer, well, no real underdogs, shall we say. Um, Chris, uh, how do you feel uh, Hertha may get on against uh, such opposition as Bill Bauer? Oh, well, it depends what Hertha team steps out. If we get the traditional Hertha team before Christmas, they should be okay. But if they slip into their post-Christmas um, form, then, um, you know, it, it it could be a bit of a goal route for them against Bilbao. But we hope they can do well. I mean, I really hope they can do well because we've talked at great length how, you know, such a stadium like the Olympic Stadium deserves, you know, European football. I think Champions League football would be ideal, not just for the stadium, but for the city. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen too soon. But I think they should be okay, Europa League. I'd like to see them get through maybe to around a 16. Um, I think they're probably capable of doing that if they put themselves to it. Um, you know, they are one of the strongest sides in the whole of the, of the tiered system in the Europa League. Um, so, yeah, I think they should they should be they should be more than adequate to get through the group, as you said, and then maybe into the last sixteen. I think would be good for them to um, to build on. But back to this game, it was the it was a game for all the right reasons, wasn't it? And I think in the end, we ended up talking about the football and not about the refereeing, which was seemed to take over a little bit of it. Um, I think we all know how good the referee is. And she was um, she was given the platform to show how good she was. And, and hopefully, I'm hoping now, I don't know why you think about this, Manu, um, is that, um, you know, Bibi Einstein else just gets left to referee and doesn't get constant mm. media attention that she's this woman, you know, and uh, the 
the Bundesliga itself came out with the woman of the match day, which I thought was a bit odd. I thought they would have been one of the ones to try and push away from this, you know, female referee. Cause at the end of the day, she is a referee. She's not a female referee. She's a referee. She's head and shoulders above some of her counterparts in the entire system. So I'm glad for her sakes that she had a fantastic day. Um, and she even said in herself, she hopes everything calms down and moves along now. So I'm hoping, um, personally that that happens as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Chris, I, I must say that I've seen that push from Bundesliga as well, and I thought that was a very odd choice. Um, and you know, I, I don't know why they would even bring the attention to that. Well, no, I get why they've done it, because it is such a historical thing. She's a female referee, refereeing in one of the top five leagues in Europe. I get it, and we should push that. But she came in, she did a fantastic job. She's proved a weight um, in worth as much as any other of her male counterparts. And you know, she should just be left alone now to concentrate on refereeing, I think, because if the referee becomes bigger than the game, we've got a bit of a problem. And um, not that that's going to happen here, but it, she could be on the cusp of being mentioned more than the game that she's officiating, which um, I wouldn't like to see because she does have all the qualities to be as big as, um, as Colleen. I think and that might be an over exaggeration from the start but from when I've seen her officiate she is very calm she's very collected and she does officiate the laws of the games very well and she takes a moment to think about decisions she never seems to be rash so I think she's got the potential to go a long way I just think maybe we shouldn't be looking now at gender and just at equality Mm. and this is exactly it um you know, the kicker wrote, um the kicker said and I think they got it straight on uh the hope for normality I think that's exactly what it, what it should be. It should be normal, right? She is a highly qualified referee. She, in my opinion, she should have been in this league one or two years ago. Um, you know, and there was, there was a lot of controversy about the fact that she wasn't because she was consistently the highest ranked, um, Bundesliga two referee and, uh, didn't get promoted. The way it works in Germany, just like clubs, you have to promote, you get promoted from league to league, right? So. And, uh, Bibiana Steinhaus has worked her way up from the very bottom of the men's game. She's also a top referee at the women's game, maybe the best female referee in the world, right? This is just for the women's game. But, you know, the thing is, she, the fact that we're talking about it here already, um, it's, it's, of course, it's really good and positive news. And I, I thought she did a fantastic job, but we, we never really doubted that, didn't we? I mean, we cover Bundesliga too. And, um, we know from, from Bundesliga 2, where I have watched many games, um, where she refereed, and you don't even notice it anymore that she's on the field. And that's really what we want. And when you look at the echo of some of the player statements that came out afterwards, they were asked about it and they were like, well, of course she did a great job. You know, we, we, we've been working with her for, for years now and she's always done a great job. And why all of a sudden is this an issue? And I can understand why the league is proud. Why you would say woman of the day, uh, maybe the, the headline of that was a bit unfortunate. Uh, I guess what they wanted to express, they couldn't have man, man, named a man of the match or man of the week. So I guess, um, they had to revert it. But, um, I think it's, it's really good news that she's finally there. And I would actually say it's been overdue that she is there because she is a fantastic referee and, uh, you know, no big surprise that she showed that in this match day. Yeah, I must say, uh, waving a play on for the uh, her, 
uh, Hertha Berlin goal, uh, Lecky's goal, uh, was fantastic. And, and I would be uh, applauding whether that was male or female or whoever the referee was. Uh, but I thought that was a uh, very good play uh, by her. And I, I must say I enjoyed uh, Julian Nagelsmann's uh, comments um, on it this week. Uh, he was asked um, about, obviously, her going into the game. And he said uh, something around the lines of, uh, male or female, it shouldn't matter uh, in quality as long as the job is done well, even though a lot of men like to think that that makes a difference when it comes to driving. So there you go. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. That was a classic yeah. Nagelsmann there. You know, but yeah, he's, thought, but he's, he's right. I mean, he's, 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 he's a witty fellow. And I think, but you hear that across the board from anyone, and a lot of a lot of the players and the coaches seem to be almost annoyed about being asked about this, because it shouldn't be a topic, you know. It she should be just treated like all the other referees, and I mean this in all the positive way. And, and you know, she is she has shown for so many years in Bundesliga too that she's a great referee. Why shouldn't she be able to do it in the Bundesliga? Well, exactly. Let's just wish her all the best. Okay, guys, so we're just going to move on. We're quickly uh, running out of time here. We're going to drop down to Bundesliga 2 and just have a very uh, quick look here. Dusseldorf, uh, they seem to be having a, a hell of a start to the season. That's uh, five games played, uh, 4-1, one, one draw. Uh, Manu, does this come as any surprise to you? Um, Dusseldorf, um, well, weren't one of the contenders to go up last season, but they've had a fantastic start. And this weekend, they've actually beat um, what we probably would have said is our favourite to go up in Union Berlin at 3-2. Yeah, and um, Union haven't really looked that convincing this season. Um, bit of a last-minute crisis. Uh, the, they're struggling to see out games, right? And uh, something that, that was mentioned in, in the press in Germany in particular, um, the, the fact that Union are not, you know, able to, to do the see out games and I mean, this is, this was a perfect example. They were up until the 78th minute. And then Usami Neuhaus, um, Felix Neuhaus, of course, the, uh, former 1860 youth product, um, scoring the game winner. And that's, um, you know, not great for, for Union. Maybe Oshida will bring them some stability when he finally starts playing for them. But I mean, Düsseldorf, they, they're looking good early on, but, Bryce, uh, Bundesliga two predictions, uh, very difficult, right? Every week we don't know. We have, we, we, I mean, Darmstadt, I guess is a demoted side. That's not the biggest surprise in the world, but Holstein, Kiel are in the top three. And then right behind that is Armenia Bielefeld. So we'll, we'll see again. Uh, Chris, Chris always gets that right. We'll wait about match day 10, right? And then we can sort of sense where everyone is. Um, but early goings look really fantastic for Tuna and Düsseldorf. Great city, big city. Um, so it'd be, be good if they could hang in there and maybe get promoted. So it would be a fantastic stadium to visit for us as well. So fingers crossed. It's yeah, just so definitely. fluid at the moment, isn't it? Before we get to the middle bit. I mean, English that have climbed out to 15th. They were rock bottom at one point. So um, I think, yeah, we can just take the table with a pinch of salt. I'd be very surprised if Uni and Berlin aren't back up by the top. Round about match day 10. Maybe you can hold me to that, Bryce. 
<laughs> no, I won't do that. I think this uh, this table, as you said, is a little bit too un- unpredictable, not just at the moment, but um, throughout the season that can happen. But it's, it's a great start, as Manu said, by Holston Kiel. Uh, they seem to be scoring plenty of goals, but also conceding plenty. But yeah, mm. it'd be great to see them have a good season. Them going up, probably a step too far. If we're well, being, you look at uh, Würz- we look at Würzburg last season, they had a start like that and got relegated in the end of the year. So you know it's it's <laughs> but it's, it's it's true it's like it's such a hard league to predict it's it's such a tight league to predict that's why we like watching it that's why you know when we are over in Germany later this winter as a team we'll we'll probably try to go up to some of these games and uh, Düsseldorf would actually be a fantastic place to visit right so um we're we're, tra- we're hoping to do extensive stay up in the Ruhrport uh, football garden tour and um that will be one of the places we definitely want to visit so i hope they can keep this going because you know the the, the better the team is the better the atmosphere uh so let's keep our fingers crossed that they can hang in there uh for as long as possible yeah most certainly i think in another five games uh it's going to be a very different looking table but that more or less does it for this week uh we're just going to go around and do our shout outs as always uh chris uh, you're going to be at the chelsea game aren't you uh, this week um what else would you like to draw people's attention to or where can people find you online oh yes i'll be at the chelsea game which is tomorrow obviously as we're recording this monday night so yeah tuesday night game chelsea against Karabag. so um i'll be in a press box for that so please keep an eye on the Football Grad Live account um, for the link to the minute-by-minute report and then to anything else interesting that falls out of that game. Um, and if anyone wants to f- um, follow me, they can. They can see all about my um, experiences in Bulgaria last week with a football team called Icarus FC. Um, and yeah, you can follow me at Chris78Williams. And you can also see some great pyro videos from CSK Sophia. Yeah, they were something else indeed. Um, Manu, what have you got going on this week? No doubt, absolutely loads. But um, is there anything in particular you'd like to draw people's attention to? And where can they find you and the articles online? Yeah, so it's all at Football Grad Live. So Chris already mentioned that. Um, and then I am back in Vancouver on Wednesday um, together with Tim Bokterchev. Um, we had a great interview with Juramov Zizian, a former Sparta great. So that, that he spent... Uh, seven minutes with us um, in the dressing room, actually, of all places. MLS is a bit weird for European listeners. You can actually as press walk into the dressing room, see all those naked dudes in there, and you can interview them straight after the game. And uh, <laughs> we actually got to spend seven minutes with Juram of Susi, and we were polite. We waited until he had his pants on. And uh, that interview will be on the uh, Football Grad podcast, which will be usually is out around Thursday, Thursday morning, uh, UK time. So that's that's gonna come, and then um, yeah, the, the previews, um, of course, the Europa League Champions League previews, they are all out on Football Grad, Fußballstadt, and you can find them all at Football Grad Live. And then um, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's a ton going on. Yeah, most certainly. And so I've been your host, uh, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Uh, Manu and I will be a part of the Golanzo Liga MX uh, podcast, which will be out later this week as well. Uh, apart from that, I'll see what I can upload uh, from the Cologne Arsenal game while cheering on Cologne. And yeah, I'll go to Football Grad Live, uh, guys. There's going to be so many articles, so many um, uploads. Yeah, go there. There's going to be plenty to see and read um until then though we uh, bid you farewell uh we'll be back at the same time next week of peter's end 
Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich abzuholen. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.